Hi, I'm Stuart Legere, Associate Artistic Director of Zupa. Welcome to Carry the Spark, Reflections on the Movement, a limited podcast series highlighting fascinating conversations with leading climate activists on the state of the climate crisis, the need for cautious optimism, and reflections on 50 years of the Ecology Action Centre. For more information, visit zupa.works or ecologyaction.ca. Here we go. EAC between 2005 and 2012, and I still refer to my time at the EAC as one of, if not the best, employment experience that I've had. I worked for Trax. Trax was um, the transportation committee, so I was involved in promoting. Um, and advocating for better active transportation and public transportation infrastructure and supporting events and other, I guess, initiatives that, that helped further active transportation and public transportation. By the time we were working on developing the, the recommendations to the province for a sustainable transportation strategy, yeah, we were really looking at the the intersection between um, social justice and environmental issues as it relates to transportation. You know, public transit and active transportation are good choices environmentally for climate change, but they're also necessary choices for to make transportation equal and accessible and um, convenient for for all users. Well, you know, now that I think about it, like it may not have been front and foremost in my head, but certainly like, for example, with the open streets event, when you build a city so that it's safe for the youngest kids and the oldest adults and people with disabilities to, you know, move freely and to feel safe and comfortable walking and biking, because often those are the modes that those age groups can use only, right, or taking the bus. And so if you build it for to work for those groups, then it works for, for everyone. So that was front and foremost, front and center in my mind. But I think maybe what wasn't so front and center in my mind is thinking about like spatial distribution of open space and public space and like comparing lower income areas of the city to richer income areas of the city and what each of those areas have access to. But I feel like that came up more in, for me, <laughs> as I remember, around the, the recommendations to the province on the sustainable transportation strategy. Like one thing that I have in my mind really clear is, um, is thinking of bus stops and how, you know, if you look at the um, comfort level of bus stops in different areas of town, you tend to find like in general, at that time, you tended to find nicer ones in the richer areas of town and not so nice ones or not covered ones in the less rich areas of town. So it's a pretty small thing, but it speaks to the inequity of distribution of, of services in public space. One thing that comes to mind, I'll never forget this, this is when we did those the public engagement sessions 
and the intent there was to get input for the sustainable transportation strategy, we would do evaluations with the public that came. And I remember at one session, one man said, this is what democracy looks like. And I mean, it was just one person, but I got the sense that working in government now and seeing how government now in 2021 here in Manitoba does public engagement, I think it actually like falls short of what we were doing. You know, we had the ability to bridge the on the ground with the political because we had as as a crew, as a team, we had that diversity of, of skill set. And I think that philosophy too, right? Like genuinely wanting to work together with community to build towards a better state of sustainable transportation in the province. So I, I think I definitely think that's a, that's a strength is that bridge. Again, in those days of like in the days of the green mobility grant and the green mobility strategy and the municipalities for green mobility, I think we were looking for opportunities to um, bridge what we could get funding for and what the need was in in the community. So like, for example, with that municipalities for green mobility grant, all all municipalities had to develop an integrated community sustainability plan. That's what it was. We knew that. I think it was Stephanie that made that connection and said, okay, here's an opportunity, right? Like here's an opportunity for us to use our skills of working at the local level and bring our expertise, but also help them get what they need to get to get gas money from the federal government. So bridging that on the ground with the big picture. How did we decide what we would work on? It seems like it was a combination of like, what's the call on the ground and what's what's happening like socially and politically at a bigger level? And, you know, how can we influence that? Taking what we learned from on the ground and also what we learned from other jurisdictions and best practices across North America and the world. And then as well, piecing that together with where the funding is. The Chibacto Neighborhood Association um, approached us because they had been served these letters from the city saying that we're going to expropriate a certain chunk of your front lawn to widen Chibacto Road. And they were not pleased about that. And uh, they, as citizens, thought, well, we'd rather see this money go into improving public transportation or bike lanes than into making the commute by car slightly shorter. So yeah, I guess to start with, it was kind of neat because that the Chibacto Neighborhood Association approached us knowing that we had experience in community. And, um, and so it was just like a, a joint effort of, of our staff and our volunteers at the EAC working with the Chibacto Neighborhood Association to advocate for a different use of the money. And also for some change in terms of the way the city dealt with that because it, it really wasn't that savvy to just put this letter on in someone's mailbox who's been living there for 30 years and saying we're taking part of your front property and cutting down trees in your boulevard to ride and slide in this road so yeah I guess what stands out is we we had some events like we had a front lawn um commuter event where they all 
people brought lounges out into their front yard. And like, basically the idea was they were trying to show commuters that this is where they live. So they were trying to create the sense of like living rooms and gathering areas on their front lawn and showing, yeah, like this is where we live. So it, it is actually a big deal that our front lawns are going to be expropriated. And, and we use that opportunity to pass out some flyers and Tim Hortons donuts to commuters to give them a little perk on the way to work and also raise awareness. But yeah, it got juicy because we we decided to stage a protest when when uh, unfortunately, like our 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 efforts did raised awareness, but didn't change the city's plans to widen widen the road. So leading up to the event, decorated the trees that were going to be cut down and had big hearts. I don't even know if there were there were messages on those hearts in terms I think related to transportation. So the day of when they were, they, the city had re- hired a company to come down and cut all the those trees down, which needed to be done before they could widen the road. We got there early and we're sitting in the trees to try <laughs> prevent it. Um, good intentions, not necessarily particularly strategic. <laughs> um, because, yeah, the police came and uh, and there were some of us that were arrested for, what was it? I think we were, it was like mischief and obstruction of justice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the trees ended up being caught down. The, the, um, the road ended up being widened. But it was just interesting because it, that really... It, it was neat. We were working with a community organization and so many issues came up. Like it, it wasn't just about transportation. It was about engagement and how the city like engages communities when they have a plan to widen a road. Like what's a good way to do that? Put a letter on and say, here's what we're going to do. You've lived here for 30 years, but we didn't even think we should like meet face to face and talk to you. And then the, the level of police, um, presence there and kind of the the lack of identification on the police also became an issue um and some of the residents actually pursued like complaints about that so it ended up being (laughs) a lot more than than transportation I just felt so lucky to work with so many amazing people and so I felt like there was support because we all were passionate about the same thing there was there was support and room for discussion when there were frustrations, you know, like, like, and, and because we had kind of a, there was a more casual side that just working with so many people that were passionate about creating change and, and people with diverse talents and abilities, like that's, that's what kept me buoyant, I guess. If I think of one thing that I've learned from my time at the AAC that I, I have a different perspective now. I think at the EAC, I was, I felt more like us and them kind of, that was my, that wasn't necessarily the EAC. That was just me. And now in my elder years, I realize like that, that doesn't create lasting change. Right. I just had this idea of a circle of reconciliation, like maybe, you know, like of, five people working on the oil fields and five climate activists coming together over 10 weeks and having sharing circles. I don't know. Maybe that's what we need or I'm not sure. (laughs) 